Hello, Huskies, and welcome back to the My GBC podcast. You may not recognize my voice. My name is Claire, and I'm the producer of this podcast. Aransa, unfortunately, can't make it today, so I'm doing my best to fill her shoes. I hope you'll graciously bear with me as we cover a pretty important topic. Today, we're talking about something that you may not think about often, but that is relevant to everything you do every time you log on to your computer, your email, and any other accounts online. We're talking about online security. What's important to know, and how can you protect yourself from compromising your accounts, passwords, and data? We're joined by Aaron Armanak, who is the Director of Cybersecurity at GBC. Welcome, Aaron. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well, thank you. So I'm wondering, how has the landscape of online security changed in general over the past, say, 10 years? What do we need to know now about protecting ourselves online that we didn't need to know before? So first, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, To answer your question as to what has changed in the last 10 years, in summary, a lot. Cybersecurity changes by the hour, if not by the minute. So in the last 10 years, as you may all be aware, more and more services, websites, solutions, and apps have become available. And with them, obviously, an increased risk. Basically, as we add functionality and usability, we tend to decrease our privacy and security. Unfortunately, this is just how it works, and we really don't have a way around it. We use more and more devices, spend more time on the web, and utilize a variety of apps and websites. And with each one, we gain something. And along the way, risk losing something in turn. That could be time, money, personal information, and so on and so forth. Um, There are also a lot more threats now out there as the malicious actors now generate millions in revenue with a very low chance of them getting caught. So there are continuously performing various campaigns and threats against users with the hopes of generating more and more money and they can't be touched. Our threat models have also changed and threats continue to get more and more sophisticated by these actors. For most of us though, our attitude has somehow become more and more relaxed, which is not ideal. So we have increased threats, but we also have a relaxed attitude as to protecting our security and privacy online. I'm sure none of you want to deal with identity theft or watch your bank account become emptied because of simple steps you could have taken to prevent it, right? Right. So now, just so that we're clear, cybersecurity is not about getting rid of all the privacy and security risks, but it's more about identifying the risks that we can tolerate and live with. That's, that's our purpose. And to do this, we need to make informed decisions. For example, do we want to use a device without an antivirus or anti-malware solution? Do we want to download an app given that in the privacy and security section, it says it does X or it records Y? Are we comfortable with that? Do we want to pirate a software and initially save money uh, or spend the money and be secure instead? Again, these are all decisions we have to make that we did not necessarily have to make 10 years ago, or if we did, they would have significantly less impact if we made a wrong decision. Mm -hmm. And uh, basically in summary, as time goes by, the reach and impact of the technology increases 
it empowers us, uh, but it also puts us at risk. And it's up to us to make the right decisions. And that's why I'm here today. Okay, thank you. Yeah, that's a really helpful answer. It's an interesting dichotomy that the more we're able to do and the more relaxed we get with using services online, mm -hmm. the more risk we also have. Um, and, and I feel like people aren't really aware of that <laughs> on a daily basis. And I've noticed that uh, we keep getting these uh, warning emails from the college about phishing emails. Can you explain what phishing emails are and how someone can avoid falling victim to them? Yes, absolutely. So before I explain phishing, I'll, I'll use another term to describe phishing. So phishing is a type of what is called social engineering attack. So what social engineering? Um, it is a term that is used for a broad range of malicious activities accomplished through human interaction. In summary, it's, it's deceit, it's lies, it's trickery. So it uses psychological manipulation to trick the recipients of, let's say in this case, the emails into making mistakes or giving away sensitive information that would ultimately end up hurting them. Mm. These attacks, in this case, phishing, attempt to steal your money, your identity, uh, getting you to reveal personal information, such as you know, credit card numbers, bank accounts, passwords. And uh, these are usually done via emails or websites that pretend to be legitimate. They're impersonating someone. Mm -hmm. So cyber, cyber criminals typically pretend to be reputable companies, friends, colleagues, managers, acquaintances. Uh, and the communication happens via a fake message, which usually ends up having a link that points to a phishing website that either steals your credentials or asks you to divulge information that you normally wouldn't. Mm -hmm. Now, these kind of scams uh, have existed since the beginning of time, the deceit and the trickery, but have now moved into the digital domain and uh, they're manifested as phishing, which happens through email. There's another form called vishing, which happens via voice calls. So the CRA calls you sometimes receive. Okay. And finally, the, the last one is called smishing, which right. is when they perform to do the same activity via SMS or text messages. Okay. But the intent is the same, to get this information from you and perform some malicious action with the information that has been obtained. Okay. As for avoiding, you can't. 100% avoid it. You can prevent it to a certain extent, but realistically, none of us are ever going to be 100% immune to it. Mm -hmm. But that being said, I will provide some recommendations. And as you will notice, some of my recommendations repeat across the domains, just because implementing one will help lower the risks that are presented to you from online actors. So number one, Beware. Basically, every time you open an email or open a link, expect it. We're not saying be terrified by it, but expect that this may not be a legitimate link. Exercise caution. You know, ask yourself, what would happen if I don't click this link? What would happen if I download, don't download this attachment? Enable uh, multi-factor authentication. I know we're going to talk about this in depth later, as uh, multi-factor authentication will prevent your account from either being taken over and used to send phishing emails or will prevent you losing access to your own account if you accidentally fall victim 
to a phishing email and you provide your information. If you don't have access to, let's say, locally installed antivirus or anti-malware applications, there are a lot of websites you could use. I recommend one called VirusTotal. So if you ever receive an email with an attachment or a link that you're not sure of, without opening them, just copy the link or download the attachment, again, without clicking or opening them, upload it into the virus total, and it will scan through dozens and dozens of websites, and it will tell you if the link or the attachment are safe to open. Mm, okay. I actually have a question. Sure. This shows how little I know about um, phishing emails, but is it possible that just by clicking a link, you could like infect your computer or something? Or is it only to do with once you click it, what you do on that, in that link, what you like, if it's a form or information you give in that link, what are the possibilities there? It depends on how it was created. So for example, with the recent phishing emails that we received at the college, if you were logged in to your Google account, and then you click the phishing link, if your credentials were saved in the browser so that you didn't have to enter them every time, the website was able to automatically take those credentials without your knowledge. Okay. In other instances, they send you to a site, let's say the ones we got recently where they were offering part-time jobs, where they were asking you to enter your information. So you're voluntarily disclosing this information. And then that information was used to pre uh, perform malicious actions by the party. Right. And, okay. and, and that brings me to my next point. Where possible, either use different email addresses or even email aliases, as some email providers will provide that. So let's say you use one email just for banking, when you're doing your taxes, government work, and then have one where you could use on social media or chat with friends and family. Basically separate the two, so the compromise of one will not lead to the compromise of the other one. Okay. And uh, just like the previous recommendation, where possible, and for those who have the option, let's say use different devices. If you were to open that attachment on a tablet or an iPhone that doesn't have any other data on it, the chances of it causing the same level of damage on a Windows or a Mac computer are less because they're more contained and they can't just spread the same way they do on your Windows or, or Mac computer. So again, where possible, where you have that option, use different devices, one for everything normal that you do and one for activities that, let's say, may be perceived as a bit risky. Okay. Um, also never provide information to sites or services that you don't know or trust. For example, as the federal government always says, you never have a reason to provide your social insurance number to anybody online or over the phone for any reason, not even your bank, nobody. Yeah. Um, have strong passwords and the modern day password requirements just focus on the length of the password, not the complexity of the password. So if the password is long, even though it's simple, it's more secure than one that is very difficult for you to remember and compose. Oh. And if you feel your passwords are compromised, rotate them. And finally, where possible, try to minimize sharing your personal information. So sharing accounts with friends and family, giving others access to your email or any personal information. Because even though you're taking good care to protect your information, just understand that anybody you share your accounts or credentials with are also being targeted. So these are just some high-level actions we could take to uh, minimize the chances of either getting fished or minimizing the amount of data that we that we will lose if we were to get fished and wow. fall victim. Yeah. I 
I have one follow-up question about um, using two different email addresses. Let's say you have a Gmail address and then you make another Gmail account and you have your password automatically saved in your Google Chrome, let's say. If, if you open an email in your one Gmail account and it compromises that account, is it still going to affect the other Gmail account? If you have your credentials saved in the browser, if we were to get attacked by the phishing campaigns that we just did, and it basically takes all the information saved in your browser, then yes. Okay. But otherwise, if you're using two Gmail accounts, no, especially if they're in different browsers or they're in a password manager too. Again, it's, uh -huh. it's about compartmentalizing okay. and separating accounts from one another, even though they're on the same machine or the same email provider. Okay. Okay. That's helpful. So yeah, my other question then is what are some of the best practices that students can use to stay safe online? So in addition to what we discussed, obviously, uh, think before you click, right? It goes back to the phishing emails or, or anything of malicious nature, nature always trying to emphasize um, tight deadlines or a position of authority telling you to do something just to make sure that you don't have the time to think rationally. So think before you click again, what's the worst case scenario if you click it late or don't click it or you know, validate that link um, right. in right. VirusTotal or a similar service. Uh, once again, enable multi-factor authentication across any of your solutions. So banking, social media, email, anywhere that they support it. I can't recommend this enough. It, it's, it's the cheapest, easiest, most secure way of controlling access to your accounts to make sure that only you and you have access to it. Um, always keep your devices up to date. This is critical. And it is the second most important thing that I can recommend after multi-factor authentication. So make sure you always do the patches and the updates as soon as they come out. The, the vendors, in this case, Microsoft and Apple, have a lot of resources that they dedicate to making sure that your software is always patched so that no one can take advantage of any weaknesses in your browsers, in your Windows, in your Mac OS. So it's critical that we implement them right away. Minimize the number of apps and services that you have on your devices. So whether it's your uh, laptops, desktops, or uh, cell phones or tablets, um, delete and unsubscribe from anything that you don't use. So we, if we decrease the number of apps and solutions and services that we have, the chances of one of them being compromised or data leaking or the vendor not supporting it are significantly lowered. So again, that's a critical step. Emails, email clients, and browsers are what we like to call as the most dangerous tools out there. This is what gives us the most access to the you know, World Wide Web, as well as um, email and social media and everything. But along with it, the links and the attachments are, are, are the biggest risks to us. So again, if you can try to use uh, either different emails and different browsers, or even perform them on different devices so that the compromise of one will not lead to the compromise of the other one. Use secure devices. So this goes back to making sure that the devices that you use are patched and updated. So if you have a device, make sure it's recent enough that Microsoft or Apple or Google are, are patching it. They're uh, functioning as they're supposed to, and the vendors address concerns that come up or are reported by the community. Backups, backups, and backups. <laughs> you will definitely miss your data when it's gone. So backups are critical, both online backups and offline backups. 
So I can't recommend backups enough. Uh, minimize the amount of data that you would share and the digital audit trail that you leave behind. The reason I'm saying this is the less information there is out there about you, the less you have to lose if you're compromised. So this is similar to the minimizing your attack surface, so uninstalling anything you don't need, closing accounts you don't use. And again, the less information you share, the less you have to lose. Uh, once again, as with passwords, secure your passwords and use password managers. Don't give your passwords to anybody, not even family or friends or anybody, help desk, and try not to reuse your passwords. If you use the same passwords across multiple sites, the first thing that somebody who has access to one of your accounts will do is try to use that same password across all other sites and services that you use. Also note that there is no such a thing as a free software. As, as we say is, if you're not paying for the product, you are the product. So the company's making money off of you. And that's not what you want. So sometimes where it's practical, it's better to pay the dollar or two for the app or the service rather than use a free one that is then selling your information in order to be able to provide that information to you free of charge. Mm -hmm. And uh, finally, as we learn these things about the, the threats and the possibilities and opportunities in the cyber world, use this as an opportunity to, to teach others, right? Raise awareness, help everybody understand whether it's your grandparents, whether it's friends, your children, that these threats are real. And even though we like to think that it will never happen to us, it will, it's just a matter of time. And again, our goal is not to prevent it. Our goal is just to be ready for when it happens and minimize the damage to ourselves and our loved ones when it does happen. And so can you tell me more about what the importance of doing the multi-factor authentication is? Yes. So multi-factor authentication is the most significant and effective way to secure your accounts, any accounts, whether it's the college accounts, personal banking. And as Microsoft recently stated, it will prevent 99.9% .9 of the attacks on all your accounts that leverage MFA. Even if your passwords are not as strong, having MFA will still prevent unauthorized access to your account. I guess we should maybe first just for anyone who needs to explain what multi-factor authentication is really yes. very briefly. Absolutely. So the same way a password is used as authentication, MFA is the second form of authentication, multi-factor authentication, which is essentially an additional verification step to go with your ID. And again, this is done so that in case your credentials are breached or disclosed or leaked without someone having access to your uh, mobile device or tablet in which this authenticator app is running on, it will be impossible for them to log in. So they could get your ID, they could get your password without access to your personal device in which this authenticator app is running. The access is next to impossible, 99.9%. So what happens is you, um, you enter your ID, you enter your password, and then if you've set up multi-factor authentication, there's another step where it asks you to punch in a code that was sent to your mobile device. That is correct. That is correct. They come in a few ways. So for example, the one that we're implementing at the college right now, when you put your credentials, put your first authentication method, which is your password, then you're prompted from uh, the Microsoft app 
and then it asks you to enter a two-digit code. So your computer will display a two-digit code. All you have to do is enter that two-digit code on your app, the authenticator app, and that's it. And okay. you're logged in. If it's not you, so somebody is trying to log into your account and it is them that's getting this prompt, but obviously they don't have your phone, there is an option that on your phone you will report it as not being you who's trying to log in. And then Microsoft or the automated tools we have in the back end will restrict that person from accessing your account. Now, again, keep in mind, they couldn't log in. They had your username, they had your password, but without this, they couldn't. So at that point, we would recommend you even change your password because now somebody else has it as well. I see. Okay. So yes, this is all very helpful. Is, is there anything else that comes to mind um, about online security that you would want students to know? Yes. So I want us all to understand that as we continue to spend most of our lives in the digital world, we impact the digital world as we use it, but we're also impacted by it. And understand that just as our risks and threats in the real world, there are similar threats from online threat actors. The difference is you're not just targeted locally, but now with the availability of all services online, you're being targeted internationally and not by one bad individual, but by pretty much every, every malicious person everywhere because now you're within reach. And this also ties in with the, how threats have changed over the last 10 years. So, so think about that for a second. Our, our risks and ex exposures have increased along with the functionality and all the productivity that we gain, but now we're targeted internationally. So mm -hmm. when, I, when I present this, I usually um, get a variety of responses and, and most folks seem to think that, why would I be targeted? Or, or why am I a person of interest? Or, or my favorite, I have nothing to hide. Right. And to these folks, I always say, OK, if you have nothing to hide, then give me all your accounts, your IDs, give me all your passwords or, or even better. If you have nothing to hide, post them online on social media. Let, let everyone see it. Will you do that? Hmm. <laughs> and the answer is always a no. Right. And the reason I say this is if it has value to you, any value, it has value to others as well. And no matter how small or insignificant the information you're sharing, it has some value to someone somewhere. And it could at some point in time be misused. Mm -hmm. And the less seriously we take our security and we say, I'm not a target or who would be interested in breaching my accounts, the higher the chances of these malicious actors coming after you because now you're an easy target. The, another example that I like to give is, look, these malicious actors are after financial gain, right? So why would they chase an organization that is very mature, has hundreds of people working in the cybersecurity team to obtain, let's say, a million dollars, when instead they could target 100,000 people who have no security and charge them $10 each? The end result is the same. So they get their million dollars. It's just that you're a much easier target. Mm. Um, I also want to just bring up a few other points. So be careful what you say and do and post online. There is always an audit trail that is good or bad that we're leaving behind that it can never be undone. Even when you delete it, let's say you post a picture accidentally for two seconds, that is there forever. The, the way the cloud infrastructure works, you may delete it, but on the back end, it's retained forever. And... Uh, Unfortunately, anything that we do or share will be used to 
paint a picture of you and the activities that you have performed, even, even when you least expect it. So recently, there's been a lot of uh, media coverage on folks who are being denied access to universities and colleges in the United States or denied jobs because of comments that they had made in, on social media, even when they were you know, much, much younger in their, in their teenage years. And now that is being used to assess this person as a professional, as a, as a student, as basically anybody that this institution wants to interact with. Wow. So keep in mind, there is no undo button. There is, it's once, it, once it's online, it's online. And when it comes to sharing information, it's, it's always better to be paranoid and be wrong rather than be very generous with your information and optimistic uh, with the folks you share your information with and then be wrong. Now, mm -hmm. I'm not saying be paranoid all the time, but just be aware that it's better to be safe than secure. And, and most importantly, when in doubt, don't risk it. Ask for help. And right. that's why I'm here, to help answer those questions. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. Yeah. It makes sense to be paranoid about online activity, I guess. Um, and yeah, like you said, there's always people to go to. So if someone wants to know more, where can they get more information about this? If you if you like the information that we, we discussed today or or prefer additional recommendations or solutions, feel free to email us at cybersecurity at georgebrown.ca. Okay. Uh, you will also get an email early December about enrollment in multi-factor authentication. And along with the frequently asked que questions, we have provided a lot of additional guides and tips and hints that you will be able to leverage. But essentially, let me know. Uh, if you find this information helpful, I could certainly look into other ways of providing information to keep the GBC community secure at school and at home. That's great. Thank you. This has been very helpful for someone who already knows about this or someone uh, like myself who knows a bit, but um, it expanded on a lot more of what I already know. And just it's always helpful to have a reminder of not sharing too much information, um, just a reminder to think twice. Um, so thank you, Aaron. Thank you. Um, thanks for joining me today and helping explain what we all need to know to keep ourselves safe online. Uh, can you remind me what the email was again? Yes, uh, cybersecurity, one word, at georgebrown.ca. Okay, perfect. Thank you. So students, um, if you want to know more, you can email that email address. And thank you for tuning in to this episode of my GBC podcast and for having faith in me, your temporary host. I hope you'll join us next time for some more important student info and helpful insights. Until then, have a great week.